Hey everybody and welcome to the Fathoming Heavy Podcast. My name is Andrew and today my guest is Michael Demers, guitarist in the New Hampshire-based long-form doom band Bog Haunter. If you haven't heard Bog Haunter, you should definitely check them out. They've got one EP out so far, it's called Wrythe on Scene Red Records and you can check that out on Bandcamp and Spotify and it's great. It's just really well done. It definitely hits all of my marks. Um, I really enjoy talking with Michael. I've never actually talked with him, um, but it was like talking to an old friend. Uh, the first half, we talked mostly about his formative years, bands he was into, that sort of thing. And in the second half, we really get into his creativity and his process and, you know, the deeper stuff. Together, really kind of where it all comes from and what it all means is kind of the whole point of this podcast. And so it was really great talking to Michael, and I hope you all go check out Bog Haunter. Um, Oh, and I reference a book uh, in the podcast called Mysticism, Ritual, and Religion in Drone Metal by Owen Coggins. Uh, I don't always love academic takes on heavy music, but this one felt pretty genuine and spot on, and I definitely recommend it if you can find it. Uh, Oh, and lastly, my good friend Raid Hendricks, a great friend of myself and the show, did an awesome two-part death retrospective on his radio show, which you can stream on the KWNK Mixcloud app. A bunch of us recorded bits where we talk about our favorite death songs, and it just turned out fantastically. So go check that out, support Raid and KWNK, and just listen to some death, man. Um, There's a link in the episode notes. Um, Let's see, you can find me on all the socials, and you can email me at fathomingheavy at gmail. Dot com. Uh, I think that's it. Let's do it. getting ready for this that uh, we actually share the exact birth date day year everything yeah kind of strange uh, <laughs> i see we also share the same haircut and gray facial hair yeah which is part of the deal i guess of being you know 47 so. i guess so 47 bald a little bit yeah. of, a little bit of scruff and uh <laughs> yeah middle age but still feeling you know uh like late teens exactly i'd say so kind of a weird dichotomy that i find myself living in right now Um, yeah and it's strange because you know i'm realizing the places i go and people that i hang out with um not only you know music wise but in other aspects of my life i'm always kind of used to being the younger one and now i'm realizing that i'm significantly older than (laughs) than a lot of other people yeah the show I played last night, I was, I would say, by far the oldest person in the room, and I'm kind of getting used to that now. Yeah. You know, it was an all-ages show in a little DIY space, and a lot of people in their teens and 20s, so it kind of makes me feel like a the old man. But yeah. I've kind of accepted that now. Mm-hmm. It's great because next week we're playing with Warhorse, and nice. Jerry, Jerry and Terry are both older than me, so... Yes. Yeah, makes me feel. <laughs> Terry just turned. <laughs> I don't think Terry would mind me saying he just turned fifty. I mean, he's still making you know fantastic heavy music. And, yeah. Uh, 
So it's good to hang with guys like that who are still going, and it's, it's inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah, the fact that Warhorse is back and doing it yeah. is amazing, and the fact that they tapped him for it again yep. is also because he had had a brief stint with them a while back, I think. Uh, he did. I don't know the full timeline, but, yeah, he did play with them briefly. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly the timeline of it, but I remember him mentioning he did play with them for a little while back around the around the as heaven turns to ash mm-hmm. era. So, so this when is this show next week? You said next Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Wow. In Worcester, Mass. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like their homecoming. Okay. I guess they haven't played in Worcester in quite some time. Okay. Worcester is uh, about an hour, I'd say, west of Boston. So it's kind of uh, the next biggest city where there's our shows happening in Massachusetts. Okay. You're in New Hampshire. Yep. How far is Boston from where you are? Hour and a half. Okay. I'm kind All of right. positioned an hour and a half between Portland, Maine and Boston. I've been lucky there's cool shows that happen in both cities. And uh, if I'm speaking honestly, I'd much rather go to Portland, Maine. Yeah. Just Boston's kind of a pain to drive in. Yeah. Much more hectic, but uh, kind of right in between both cities. You go out there quite a bit. You make that trek. Uh, Portland more, yeah. just an easier drive. It's uh, Maine's a nice, nice state. Probably my second favorite besides New Hampshire. There's a good little club up there called Geno's, and uh, they have a lot of cool shows come through town. Yeah, we've played there a couple t- a couple times. Um, are you originally from New Hampshire? Yeah, born yeah. and raised. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have not been to New Hampshire. I haven't been to Maine. I've been to Mass. I've been to Rhode Island and a lot of those um, yeah. those other states around, but I haven't actually been to New Hampshire or to Maine. New Hampshire's pretty unique because like where I am is equally distant from either the ocean or the White Mountains. So it's pretty inspirational and it's a cool choice to have to either drive to the ocean or the mountains on any given day. Right. So I, I like that aspect of it. So um, you reached out to me I'm gonna, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, some you know on Facebook Messenger saying, "Hey, I like the podcast," yeah. uh, and then you told me about your band, Bog Haunter, and I checked it out and thought it was great, and told you that there's an EP. I was actually earlier this year looking on Bandcamp because I wanted to get a copy of the newest Body Void EP, and so that took me right. to the Scene Red Bandcamp page. Yep, and that's where. I ran back into Bog Hunter, and so I ended up grabbing the Body Void and Owl Crusher and Bog Hunter, um, oh, great. and got those three. And um, yeah, was just so impressed by that. by that EP that I thought we should have a conversation about this stuff. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you saying so. You've had some, you know, some heavy hitters on your show, <laughs> which I, like Dave from Neurosis. I mean, that was a fantastic show. I feel this is maybe my the closest link I'll ever have to neurosis. Ah, we were on okay. the same podcast. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate that you like the EP and that's those other two releases are, are really great too. That I actually had been listening to that Owl Crusher album long before Thomas from Seeing Red got a hold of us. So it was kind of neat because I was a fan of that album already. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a that's a good band. They really reminded me a lot of 
you know, like Burning Witch. Um, that's stuff from the early Southern Lord era. Right. Which I really love. Yeah, me too. How did it start for you? How did you get, how did you get into heavy music? My parents had uh, a bunch of albums, vinyl. And at some point, my aunt made a bunch of blank cassette dubs of those albums. And one of those albums was Back in Black by ACDC. Okay. And uh, at the time, I remember I was probably 12. It was probably like 1984. And I was listening to whatever was on the radio, pop music. But then when I heard Back in Black, everything changed. You know, the guitar tone, Angus Young especially, Angus and Malcolm. That intro to Hell's Bells with the, with the tolling bells. I mean, I immediately discovered that this is the kind of music that uh, I identified with. And I listened to that tape, I mean, nonstop, that Back in Black tape. So my parents really unwittingly led me into this. <laughs> it was kind of just an album to get, I guess, back in that time. They didn't really have any other hard rock or metal albums. It was just, um, I think a bunch of people just bought Back in Black because of probably because of You Shook Me All Night Long, mm -hmm. maybe. It started with Back in Black, and I immediately started to seek out every other ACDC cassette. I was buying cassettes back then. Right. Because um, that's kind of what you did. So I started buying, you know, every other ACDC album I could find. It seemed like I, did, I wasn't aware of their catalog, but it seemed like every time I went to the store, I'd find another album. I think the second one I got was Dirty Deeds. Okay. Yeah. Maybe for those about the rock. Did you know so that I, there was a different singer? Or or did you just discover that no, when I, you I discovered that. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. I discovered that when I slapped on Dirty Deeds yeah. and said, Okay, this doesn't sound like Brian Johnson and you know, I started looking into the history and uh, so that was my first obsession. You know, I had the A C D C logo drawn all over all my notebooks in school yeah. and that was that was that was my gateway. What came next? I remember that same year, my cousin had moved to Virginia, and I went down to visit him in Virginia. And he had a buddy, and they said, oh, "I got something for you to check out." And this guy had an eight-track tape. And for all your younger listeners, that's a uh, <laughs> outdated audio format that didn't last too long. And so he puts this eight-track tape in, and it starts off with this classical-sounding guitar. And I'm like, okay, you know, what is this? And then this massively heavy thing kicks in, and it turned out it was Battery by Metallica. They yeah, they pressed that on eight eight-track. Apparently. Wow. Okay. He, he also <laughs> yeah, he also had an eight-track of for those about the rock. I mean, I don't know if he still has that, but I can't even imagine that's still existing. But yeah, so I was immediately intrigued by that new, you know, it was a new, heavier, heavier version of what I was listening to. Yeah. I also remember being really into Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister mm -hmm. around that time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, hearing that Master of Puppets album, that really sent me down, you know, the rabbit hole of, I was into the big four, I guess, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Right. And started to seek out all of that. Started going to shows around that. I guess, I guess it was a couple of years later. Actually, started going to shows around fifteen. Okay, well, yeah. that's when 
going to shows regularly really started for me. There was so much here in the Bay Area. I was able to see Metallica a couple of years earlier um, on the uh, the tour with Ozzy. Uh, so it was oh, sort of, cool. it was that Puppets tour um, and yep. Cliff's last sort of stint through the states with them. My favorite or my first record also was Back in Black. Oh, um, cool! And uh, the kid across the street was listening to it. He was a few years older than me. That was the new ACDC record at that point. And so yeah. I saved up some money and got my mom to take me to the mall. So she, I remember she walked up, me up to the clerk and she said, is this okay? Like for him, she said, it's fine. It's just loud. Um, and yeah. I ended up putting that, on, I bought the, the vinyl and I recorded it onto a cassette, you know, much like your situation. And then listened to that over and over again. And then I ended up trading that LP to a kid in my Cub Scout troop for um, Kiss's Destroyer. And okay. that kind of sent me away from ACDC deep into the Kiss thing, um, which I've never, I've never crawled out of, um, though I did go I, back and dig into ACDC later. Yeah, I've heard, you, <laughs> I've heard you say on previous episodes that you're a Kiss fan. Yeah. And my, be my best friend at the time was a Kiss fanatic. So I was the ACDC guy. Okay. He was the Kiss guy. Yeah. So I did get to hear a lot of Kiss, and I liked it, mm -hmm. but it never, it never hit me as hard as ACDC at the time. Mm -hmm. But he would play me all the Kiss stuff, and I liked it. I mean, I remember loving Strutter, uh, God, God of Thunder, yeah, um, Cold Gin, yeah, all that stuff. All great. Songs. But never, never was compelled to go out and get their catalog. Yeah. And kind of a funny aside, I've heard you say, I've heard you talk some smack about Crazy Nights. <laughs> that, was, that was actually my first, the first cassette I ever got by Kiss was Crazy Nights. Okay, yeah. And yeah, probably not the best choice for my first Kiss album. I think I got The Elder too, around that time. But yeah, for, for whatever reason, I don't know why Crazy Nights was the first one. But I remember I, I took guitar lessons for a very brief time around that period and Thief in the Night was one of the songs I wanted to learn. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the riff in that song, I guess, is pretty cool. But yeah, the, the album never really stuck with me. I've actually, because I, I really hated that record, um, but I have actually since, over the last couple of years, I've, I've dug into it a little bit more, and actually some of the songs, I think, are, are pretty solid. Yeah. I think with a, a slightly heavier production, uh, it was so slick, I just think... Uh, something a, with a bit more grit to it would have changed my feelings about it years ago. Yeah, but I, I think there actually are some pretty good, some pretty good songs. Sort of opening up to that era of the band, which is the one that I just kept at arm's length for years, and it was a big sure. album for them. So it makes sense that that was one of the ones you got. Yeah, I don't remember exactly why, but I think I saw them on that tour as well. Okay, yeah, I can't remember if it was on that tour or. Uh, the Hot in the Shade, was that the next album? That was the next album, yeah. Okay, it was around that time in Portland, Maine. I saw them, and I think Little Caesar and Slaughter opened that, up. That was Hot in the Shade. Okay, yeah, you remember those? Remember those? Remember Little Caesar? They had that cover of like in a, oh, was it Chain of Fools or something? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a short-lived rock yeah. band. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, those were the openers, yeah. That was a great tour. That was a great Kiss tour. I mean, they... Crazy Nights was not good. I saw them on that. Um, <laughs> Hot in the Shade was great. I mean, the, the they they played well. They actually looked okay. 
And uh, the set list was, I mean, they were going back and, uh, you know, to, to some deeper cuts in their catalog. And um, so they were, they were kind of showing their past oh, cool. some, some respect. Uh, yeah. So it was pretty good. I wish I had seen them on that tour in hindsight. I remember liking the show, but I also remember there was a dude probably six foot five standing directly in front of me. <laughs> And I couldn't move, so all I saw was the back of his head pretty much for the entire show. Yeah. And it really pissed me off, but yeah. I remember liking the, the set. Yeah, that guy's always in front of me, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good tour. Um, I, like cool. I said, I'm bummed that I missed that. Um, but then, yeah, so for you, um, yeah, we kind of started in the same place, and we went off into slightly different directions, but Master of Puppets was absolutely a... a game changer and uh, continues yeah, for me to be a record I go back to all the time. And it just, I mean, it's timeless, ageless, and just brilliant in every way. Yeah. I really haven't gone back in quite some time to, you know, really give a listen to kill them all, ride the lightning master and injustice for, for quite some time, but I, I really should because those four albums were in the garage days EP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those were really seminal for me. I was drawn a little more to Megadeth. Okay. I remember they just seemed more sinister. I was informed a lot by Headbangers Ball back then. Sure. And like the video for Wake Up Dead. Yeah. I think that was probably how I got into Megadeth or the or the Peace Cells video. Mm -hmm. And just remember thinking, wow, these guys are, you know, a little more sinister and menacing than Metallica. So I remember I really became obsessed with Peace Cells and uh, So Far So Good So What. But yeah, like I said, the big four. Yeah. I was really into Among, Among the Living by Anthrax. Yeah. Yeah, obviously Rain and Blood. Sure. Um, Hell Awaits. So in, in being so entrenched in the big four, I definitely missed out on a lot of other bands mm. from around that era, which I'm starting to go back and check out all these bands I missed. Yeah, like who are, who are some of the ones that you're uh, experiencing now for the first time? Well, I just started checking out bands like um, Anacrusis. Okay, yeah. St. Louis, uh, Holy Terror. Mm -hmm, yeah. And, and I know you've said previously on your show that you don't believe in uh, the word poser. <laughs> yeah. But I would like to potentially challenge that by telling your listeners that last week I listened to Eternal Nightmare by Violence for the very first time ever. It doesn't, that does not make you a poser. <laughs> it just um, means yeah. that you were not living as fully as you could have been. Right. Yeah. I, I was being informed by Headbangers Ball. Um, yeah. I remember reading Hit Parader, but I really wasn't aware of an underground back then, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really investigate the underground so much. So, yeah. So I'm figuring better late than never. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and what did, what did you think of Eternal Nightmare? Uh, I, oh, I, it's phenomenal. Okay. I knew the I knew the Rob Flynn connection. Yeah. And I had the first Machine Head album. I wasn't really into it, but mm -hmm. I knew I knew he that Rob Flynn was a major player in that original thrash inception with Forbidden and and Violence. So, but I just never pursued that. So now, you know, at 47, I'm. I'm trying to make it a point to go back and listen to a bunch of that stuff. You know, thanks to thanks to things like Spotify, I'll probably be hitting Discogs pretty regularly over the course of the next year and trying yeah. to fill in some major gaps in my collection. 
we're lucky we have these easy ways to yeah explore no. stuff and fill in those gaps too yeah it is yeah. a lot easier you're right yeah so eternal nightmare um coming to that now that is i mean that is that is a unique experience i think yeah. i mean that record was so entrenched in in um i mean i think back to my teenage years and uh that was at the the forefront of so much of my experience back then so i have a i mean I, there's no way i can look at that record objectively for very long um oh, it's yeah. it's just so much a part of my dna at this point so um coming into it fresh was that mind blowing for you were we i mean were you floored by that was it kind of interesting and a little weird how what was your take on it i wouldn't say mind blowing but also i'm coming from the perspective of you know going through all this music now for 30 years right hearing every form of metal but i mean i wish i had discovered it back then because it probably would have been a much more profound experience but yeah it's a fantastic album i mean i was really into nuclear assault yeah back back then and the vocals kind of the way he sings kind of reminds me of John Connolly a little bit. That rapid fire, rapid fire vocal. Right, and they both are sort of in the upper register, also a lot of grit. Yeah, yeah, yep. Like I said, being obsessed with the Big Four, there was also other little bands that kind of crept in. Nuclear Assault, Overkill, that I also really loved. But like I said, my knowledge of the underground probably, be, you know, back then wasn't wasn't extensive at all. So. Was there um, was there local music happening in New Hampshire and, and outlying areas? Not New Hampshire, but I mean, at least from my perspective, you pretty much had to go to Boston. I was going to shows. There used to be a club called The Channel down in Boston. That was a, a really seminal club. And I mean, 1988, 89, I was going to some pretty cool shows. Like um, I think 89, I went to Testament. Annihilator, Wrathchild America. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that that I saw. I saw Pantera on the Cowboys from Hell tour with uh, also with Wrathchild America. That was a band I was digging. I haven't listened to them in a while, but they were kind of a catchy. You, I don't know if you were aware of that band. Kind of a catchy thrash band. Yeah, and they, they and there was a British band called Wrathchild. Yeah. Which was more so of that, a. Hence they must hence the name Wrathchild America. I guess right. Yeah. They had a cover of Time by Pink Floyd, I remember. That was mm. pretty cool. But yeah, so I was going to some pretty cool shows down in Boston back then. New Hampshire, there really, to my knowledge, wasn't much going on. I saw, I remember Metal Church, Wasp, and Accept. That was the show I went to. Ah, all right. Down Good in Boston. Yeah. yeah. But I remember it was Metal Church with their new singer, the Blessing of Disguise album, Accept with their new singer. Oh. Hmm. No More Udo. It was after that. But, and of course, the original Wasp. Right. That was like my second or third show. So that was kind of an eye-opener too. Okay. Before that, like my first show was ACDC and LA Guns on the uh, Blow Up Your Video Tour. Uh, not one of my favorite ACDC albums. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that was my very first show. Then my second, I remember Great White and White Snake. Okay. Yeah. After that, I started kind of getting into more thrash. White Snake is another one of those bands that I was not into at all back then, but I've grown to yeah. really love and appreciate every era. You know, the cool. the harder rock, bluesy area, you know, era from the late 70s and early 80s, and then the uh, more glammy commercial stuff that had, you know, that really propelled them, you know, with yeah. cars and 
Tony Katane and the whole thing. And um, oh yeah, it was all, yeah, it was all about Tony Katane back yeah. then. <laughs> I just, I think, just the other day, I was, I had YouTube up on my TV and I put on "Still of the Night." Okay, yeah. I was thinking, I haven't seen that video in such a long time. You know, that's that's a great song. And yeah, I remember <laughs> there comes Tony Katane, and I, I remember thinking, oh yeah, I remember why I love these videos. Mm-hmm. No, but uh, yeah, I remember being in, being into that album and slided in, listened to them a lot. I had a friend who was really into more rock, and he turned me on to some stuff like that. So you had an appreciation for that sort of thing too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when so when did you start playing music? I probably the same year I went to my first show, ACDC. It was Angus Young compelled me to want to play electric guitar. So I went that same year, and I remember I bought a, a red Yamaha electric guitar. I was 15. Okay. And uh, probably, I think my first little, I had a little PV combo amp, and I just started learning ACDC riffs. Okay. I took guitar lessons for maybe a month. He would say, you know, bring in a song you want to learn, and he could learn by ear, which at the time I thought was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this guy can just listen to a song and then play it. Right. I wanted to learn Highway to Hell. That was my first song I learned. Uh, for whom the bell tolls, thief in the night. Okay, like, yeah. perfect. I don't know why it's a kind of an oddball, but <laughs> so, it was, so yeah, it was basically back then. It was just learning other people's songs, you know. Sure. Trying to get a feel for how to play rhythm, and the le- once the lessons started getting into musical theory, I bailed. Okay. So I wasn't interested in musical theory. I was just interested in learning how to play, you know, ACDC riffs. Right. Power chords and power chords, yeah, power chords, and... volume and power chords. I wish I had maybe a little more knowledge of musical theory. I think it's kind of it's kind of led to my own style a little bit just okay. because I don't know any of that stuff. I play by ear, and I develop everything by how it sounds to me, rather than any specific chord progression or any kind of theory behind it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's hopefully led to my own kind of style yeah certainly the ability to explore things in a freer way and not be bogged down by by feeling like you have to do it correctly yeah or according to you know according to theory of some kind and i have a 19 year old son Mm. who is a master of music theory he's way better musician than i am and he will tell me, you know, what I'm playing. And I'll say, wow, okay, that's good to know. It helps with developing second and third guitar tracks in the studio, knowing kind of, because if he tells me this weird little chord I'm playing is an E minor variation, then I'll know, okay, I know where an E minor is other places on the guitar. Mm-hmm. It'll help me develop, you know, tracking. Right. So luckily I have him to help me out with some kind of, a little bit of theory. So he plays guitar. He plays guitar, keyboards, drums, okay. banjo, mandolin. He's yeah, he's he's a talented guy. He okay. came to my show last night with me. It's kind of weird having my son right there in front of me while I play, but is, pretty pretty neat. Is he into it? Oh yeah. Okay. He, he likes it, which is good. I mean, he, you know, he's biased, but sure. Hopefully, he genuinely enjoys it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it could go either way. I mean, sometimes we think the things our parents do are great, and sometimes we think that because they're our parents that they suck so could, yeah. <laughs> could go either way but. i definitely got him into music very early and took him to see acdc when he was nine at uh what was that 
Oh man, I can't even think of the album. It would have been 2009, whatever album that was. Uh, I took them on that to that tour down to where the New England Patriots play, that mm. big stadium, ACDC and Anvil. Wow. And he's nine, you know, he's nine years old, and the singer Anvil opens up, and the singer comes out, and the very first thing he says is, uh, gets on the microphone, and he says, "This song is in the key of fuck." <laughs> 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 and my son just looks up at me like kind of wide-eyed. He's nine years old. And like, I go, just don't, just don't repeat it to your mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, this guy's smoking weed around. Some guy getting a fist fight in the in the aisle. Wow. I mean, he he got to see the whole rock experience in his okay. first show. And did he love it? Oh, he loved it. Yeah. Or was it too much? Nope, he yeah. loved it. Okay. Yeah, he he was. It's kind of funny. He's kind of followed the same uh, pathways as I have. Kind of, I haven't really forced it on him he just kind of has discovered things kind of in a similar fashion to me acdc you know and things like that leading to other things does he yeah. uh like dig into your collection or do you not show so him much. things no not okay. so much but it's funny he just i was driving around with him last week and he just started telling me how all of a sudden he started listening to the rollins band and i mean wow around his age i started getting really into the rollins band i mean that was the end of silence I right. was completely right. obsessed with the end of silence. I right. mean, I probably listened to that album every day for a year. So it's kind of strange how he's also finding that. But yeah, that was a big album for me. Probably another reason why I missed out on some early '90s seminal albums because I was too busy listening to the end of silence and whatever else. <laughs> Could do a lot worse than that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember. I remember around that time, you know, '92, '91. All the bands I loved were losing me. Mm -hmm. um, Metall Metallica put out the Black Album, and I dug I dug some of the songs, but like the last song on Injustice for All is Dire Z, which is an insanely technical thrash song, at least from my ears. Absolutely. And then the next thing I hear is Enter Sandman. Right. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, this is a pretty catchy tune, but this ain't Metallica. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and Megadeth puts out Countdown for Extinction. Right. And I'm like, where, you know, where's that, where's that menace? Um, you right. know, it's, it's missing. Uh, again, I like some of the tunes on that album, but it's not. Rust in Peace was just mind-blowing. I mean, just a monster of an album. And to go from that into Countdown to Extinction, I wasn't into that. Anthrax, they, they, they got rid of Joy Belladonna. And while I respect John Bush, I wasn't a fan of Sound of White Noise. Okay. Sound yeah. of more like kind of more rock to me. So I started looking for other things to kind of satisfy that niche that I was missing with these bands I used to love. Right. I started finding stuff like the Rollins Band. And um, I don't know, I started checking out punk and hardcore a little bit, going to some hardcore shows, which I soon discovered wasn't really my scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were some good bands in New England around that time. Yeah, I was just thinking there's probably a lot that you had the opportunity to check out. There was definitely some unique cool bands you know sam black church blood for blood tree i guess that was more mid 90s i remember just thinking you know this is i kind of dug the music but i really wasn't there's guys getting in you know fights every show and what wasn't really my mentality uh so i started started looking again for other things to pique my interest and where did that lead you well i remember uh going into a store and finding a copy of there used to be a magazine called Ill Literature. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, what's this? I remember, I think maybe Sepultura was on the cover. It was right when they got that new singer. Okay, yeah. And I opened it up and I see 
I don't know, all these endless reviews of all these bands and I'm thinking, wow, there is still a, like a massive underground that I'm missing. So I was buying that. I started getting every copy of Terrorizer, right. Metal, Metal Maniacs. Right. And that led me into things like, you know, the Southern Lord label that completely changed everything. Finding all these bands lurking in the underground. And, and I always liked, speaking of Southern Lord, I definitely always liked the slower stuff that always stuck with me. Like the thing that should not be off of Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. That was the song Skull Crusher off of the Years of Decay by Overkill. Those songs were always my favorite. Like the slow Sabbath inspired tunes. So that definitely inspired me just to seek out every slow, heavy band. Once I once I found Southern Lord in those first few releases, that led me down you know, a serious rabbit hole. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably came at the perfect time. Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to think of like early Southern Lord. Are we talking like Burning Witch and uh, Boris and even yeah, Sun at look, that point, Warhorse? Definitely. If you look at those first, I think it was their first 20 or so releases, you had Crippled Lucifer by Burning Witch. You had As Heaven Turns to Ash. You had the, the Thor's Hammer album. Right. They put out Turbulent Times by Grief, which was uh, mm-hmm. a collection of kind of rarities. Right. Yeah, I think Boris was in there. They put out uh, Super Coven by Electric Wizard. Oh, did they? Yeah. Was that a Sun yeah. one? Okay. Yeah, Sun, of course. Sun, so, yeah. Yeah, so all those albums, I mean. Teeth of the... Teeth uh, of the Lion, Rule, Rule of the Divine. Of the divine. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say something else controversial on your podcast. <laughs> the only Lee Dorian the only Lee Dorian release I enjoy... Wow. His teeth are alive. I'm not, sorry. I know not, Forest of Equilibrium is a massive album. Yeah. It's yeah. For, for whatever reason, to my ears, Lee Doreen's vocals have just never clicked with me. I'm not sure why. I get that. I do. <laughs> they did and click I, with me, but I understand. Yeah. I'm probably going to go back and check out Forest of Equilibrium because, you know, everybody talks about it. And yeah, for some reason, his vocals just didn't click with me, but I, I really liked his performance. It just seems so twisted on that album. On uh, uh, Teeth of Lions, Lions yeah. album, yeah. So, yeah, all the all the LS stuff led me into just finding other stuff that sounded like that and what, what bands they were inspired by. And now there are so many bands inspired by them, and it just kind of, oh. the, the rabbit hole keeps getting deeper. Now, Do you remember the, the website stonerrock.com? Uh, no. I don't even know if it's still around. There was, okay. a, there was a website called stonerrock.com back then. And I would go on there and anything that said uh, for fans of Corrupted, mm. Greek, Burning Witch, I would buy. Okay, sure. Right. So just kept buying all these albums inspired by those bands and finding new stuff. I kind of still I kinda, I kind of still do that. Yeah. Uh, was Sabbath a thing for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They had a release called... We sold our soul for rock and roll. Sure, the it compilation. Was a, it was a compilation, yeah. So that was my first exposure. I found that cassette in some store, and you know that led me into buying all their, I guess the, the first six albums. I gotta admit, I never went past that. Never went past Sabotage, and uh, I probably should. And you know, I was really into the Aussie years, so mm-hmm. I haven't checked out their too much of their stuff with the other vocalists. Although I've I've heard a bunch of it, just haven't bought the albums. There are definitely some gems in there, so I would, yeah, I'd recommend. I mean, certainly, certainly all the Dio records, um, Born Again, the Ian Gillen record, 
Um, and then some of the stuff from the some of the Tony Martin stuff is okay. It's kind of hit and miss. But those Dio records and the and the Gillen record were I mean those were just all stellar. Um, a lot yeah. different, but um, definitely worth exploring. There's a there's a podcast that I've been kind of checking out, and I think it's called Sabbath Bloody Podcast. Um, and it's just a guy. It's one guy just talking about the history of Sabbath. He'll dig into like a certain record and do kind of a deep dive into it. He's good. I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to do a podcast if you're just one person talking and not having any guests, but um, he pulls it off well. And uh, so it's definitely worth checking out. Um, And you can do, you know, you can explore some of those records. And and, yeah, I just recently heard another podcast discussing born again, actually. Okay. Yeah. And discussing the, the horrible production, Uh but also saying that it kind of, that kind of makes the album what it is. It uh, makes it stand out and gives it a specific character. Yeah, um, the production, the fact that it's Ian Gillen. Um, it's it's such a weird. It's such a weird record. It's such an anomaly yeah. in their catalog, and it's the first Sabbath record that I ever owned, actually. Okay. And my like my entry to Sabbath was through Ozzy's "Speak of the Devil." That's where I heard all those songs for the first time. Oh, okay. Um, that was the new record from Ozzy at that point, and Sabbath was you know deep into their stuff with Dio. Yeah. And so that "Speak of the Devil" was the one that kind of introduced me to all those songs. And the next thing I got from them was was "Born Again." So I have a soft spot for that record. And then I went back and dug into everything you know properly. But they're it's all. It's funny sometimes at that age too. It's like. Um your first exposure to whatever band tends to really embed itself yeah, and always hold a spot yeah, in your heart. That podcast I heard about Born Again, I really dug what I heard. It was super raw mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of maniacal sounding. So There's some super maniacal parts on that record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely Sabbath. Sabbath was, was huge, as I think for most guys our age. Seems to be ACDC, Kiss, and Sabbath. Right. Seem to be the big three, kind of that right. of the gateway, and then come priest, you know, comes priest and maiden, and then, and then Metallica. I remember I had a friend in high school. He let me borrow Live After Death mm-hmm. and Somewhere in Time, and I really dug that too. So yeah, Maiden also. There wasn't many of us in in high school that were kind of into that metal stuff, but there was a few guys that, oh, you like? Uh, they'd say, oh, you like Metallica? You should check this out. You know, and they you know, hand you a cassette by Megadeth or, or whatever and let you borrow it or make you a mixtape. Right. Right. With a bunch of different bands on it. So yeah. yeah, that was a good way of discovering new stuff. And if one guy got something, then it was really easy to circulate that around to everybody else. So like we'd all go yeah. to the store and we'd each buy something different and go back to someone's house and record it all for everybody else. That I remember a way. guy, he took me, we went down to the library one day in high school and he, they had cassettes, cassette players you could listen to books on tape. Oh, uh-huh. and he go, he goes, oh, I know you're into like Metallica and Slayer. Check this out, and he put in uh, Death, Scream, Bloody Gore, <laughs> and we listened to that in the library with headphones. And at the time, I mean, that was beyond me at the time. I'm like, wow, what you know? But it made me aware that there was this thing out there, this like this evil music that uh, that I wanted to learn more about. <laughs> yeah. So definitely intrigued me. Did you sort of go in the death metal direction at any point? Again, that was kind of a weird pathway. I, 
I think I, I remember again Headbangers Ball. What was the video by Morbid Angel? Was it where the guy's dragging the the cross? Was that Rapture or God of Emptiness? It was something off the Covenant. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. I remember being kind of freaked out and intrigued by that video, but never buying a Morbid Angel album. But then I remember being in a a pawn shop sometime in the mid '90s, and I found a copy on cassette of Disincarnate. Oh, Dreams yeah. Of, Dreams Ooh. of the Carrion Kind. Love it, yeah. And I was immediately floored by that album. And I said, well, I got to find other stuff that sounds like this. Yeah. So that led me to Morbid Angel. Okay. I wasn't a huge death metal guy, but I definitely liked a few a few bands like that. But the Disincarnate album is still incredible. It's actually my favorite death metal oh, album okay. of all time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyone who's never heard that album, um, you know, features James Murphy. Mm-hmm. On guitar, uh, yeah, that's a phenomenal album. It's just so so dark and so heavy. It's dark and it's heavy, and it it's got blast beats and it's fast, but they're also it's also doomy in, in a way. I mean, it, very doomy. So it's kind of a mix of it's it's a weird mix of everything, and it just um, it's pretty perfect. It, it yeah. remains to this day to be if if you know if I can choose one death metal record to listen to, that's the one I always go to. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's a good choice. I mean. Yeah, that alters a madness. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a few that really stuck out. I got, I remember, you know, I got into Incantation, uh, Immolation, right? All the Asian bands, <laughs> Suffoca- Suffocation, Suffocation, Creation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's another thing I've gone back and started to check out albums and bands I missed back in the in the early '90s, which was the you know the a huge time for death metal back right. then. It never ends. There's always something to, something else to listen to that I haven't heard. So. Go, go further out and go deeper. There's always, <coughs> there's always more. And again, this is the perfect. Yep. We live in the perfect day and age for that too. Yeah. To explore sure. stuff on our own, at our own pace. Yeah, I agree. So, you were playing guitar all through these years. Yeah. Um, were you were you in bands or were you just kind of playing by yourself or what was happening? Again, keeping with the the late bloomer theme here, I've always been kind of an introvert, so yeah. I didn't really have I didn't really know people that also wanted to play music or start a band. So I kind of was just playing by myself in my room. I remember jamming with a couple guys in high school, but just playing covers and stuff, and thinking, yeah, this is fun, but eh, it didn't really last. I kind of put the guitar down all through my twenties. I really mm. didn't play it much, and then. In my 30s, I kind of picked it up again. I re- I didn't play in my first band until I was 36, 37. That was oh, my first okay. band. Very, never been on stage before. 30, I think 37 was the first time I ever stepped on stage with a, in a metal band. Still pretty new to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, so it was a metal band, yeah. Very riff-based uh-huh. black metal. Okay. Lasted a couple of years and then kind of fell by the wayside. The guys I play with now in Bog Hunter, we were actually in a non-metal band together, and uh, kind of a darker Americana type band. And you sent me a link, and I checked that out, and it was really good. Oh, I appreciate you saying so. Yeah, yeah, it was um, definitely not my wheelhouse, but I was becoming intrigued by stuff like blue, old bluegrass and old mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. We recorded a few things. It, it was fun. It was definitely a challenge to write songs in that vein. Because I had never done it before. Right. 
that was the first time I'd ever sung on stage with a band. So that was different. Definitely getting out of my comfort zone. Definitely opened up, you know, playing on stage for me. Did it help you get comfortable? Semi-comfortable. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not completely comfortable. Still not 100%. I mean, I haven't really played still. I mean, a ton of shows. Mm. It's still kind of new. I'm only 10 years in yeah. to, play, to playing a band. So, What was the name of, the, um, of that band? Laid to Dust. Okay late to dust we put out like a self-released ep that that song i sent you was something we recorded in a studio but never did anything with there was a lull in that band where things kind of dropped off and uh the drummer logan who is also the drummer and vocalist and bog hunter he had this little album he made himself that he brought to practice one day late to dust practice and it was kind of a, he had a black metal style vocal on it. And I didn't know he did that. Mm. I'm thinking, wow, that's, I like his vocals. And I was writing this stuff. I, I wrote this riff on garage, just like this rudimentary riff on GarageBand, super crude sounding, and sent it to him and said, oh, I could definitely hear your vocals on something like this. And it ended up being the riff to the song Ordeals in Stillness, the main riff on our EP. Mm-hmm on that song and he said well i've always wanted to try doing drums and vocals in a, in a metal band and i'm thinking okay and josh who played banjo and laid to dust is a bass player by trade uh, banjo was brand new for him so he's a bass player and he was into the idea of also trying that so that's kind of how that band started we laid to dust fell by the wayside and we started writing these songs and those two songs on the ep for Bog Hunter. Did Late to Dust finish because you guys were shifting into this other thing or had it kind of run its course? I think that everybody got, everybody became really busy. There okay. was guys starting their own businesses, having fam, uh, starting families. So it, was, it became really hard to get together to practice and to continue writing new music. So it just kind of happened that Bog Hunter started as a result of that, Logan, Josh, and I just started jamming in the same rehearsal space and writing these songs. And did you know that those guys were into heavier stuff too? Yeah, I did. Okay, that, all right. That, that, yeah, um, I knew Logan was really into things like Neurosis, Isis, Old Man Gloom, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Josh, I wasn't really aware of a specific band taste, but I knew he was also into heavy stuff. He had played in heavy bands before. He had played in... Uh, I think like a grindcore type band. It wasn't a complete surprise then uh, that they no. would have thought, yeah, okay, we, we'd consider doing this. No, it wasn't a complete shock. Um, yeah. That little crude riff I recorded, they both seemed to be intrigued by it. Nice. I just said, you know, I want it to be slow and heavy. That was kind of all I <laughs> said. Meanwhile, you know, I'm at home writing these skeletons of these songs that later became the two on that EP. And I was pretty pleased with how it was sounding in the jam room. Once Logan started putting these vocals on top of this stuff I had written, I was I was blown away. I, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly exactly what I was picturing. And so he's doing the um, the harsher vocals are, and there are some clean vocals as well. Yeah, that's um, me. That's you. Okay. Yeah. The clean vocals is me. Yeah. Okay. I can't do harsh vocals. <laughs> and a couple of our newer songs, I have a couple parts where I'm screaming, probably not doing it correctly. Ah. 
It's more like a, geez, I don't even know, more like a yelling style. Okay. <laughs> it's more like an accent to Logan stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I would never try to do vocals in a band like that. I, I couldn't do it. The EP, which is called Rive, was recorded in 2017 and released in 2018. Is that right? Yep. And it's yep. two yeah. songs. It's about, it's about 25 minutes. I mean, it, my opinion is for whatever it's worth. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. The songs are constructed very well. To, I mean, they're based around core riffs. Uh, they come back to those, um, but they go off in different directions. There's, that's one of the things I love about this type of, I mean, it's almost funeral doom. You know, it can go off in, into so many different areas and be so dynamic while it's so just crushingly slow at the same time. So it keeps it, I mean, you're, you're in it. You're surrounded by it. It's a visceral and physical experience, but there's also enough happening that you're aware of when there are shifts and changes, and that keeps that just keeps it engaging, uh, which I think is something that is important to have happen, or else it just kind of disappears. Um, so I just think that it's it's just really well done. That's all I really, you know, want is for you know guys like you who I know appreciate heavy slow stuff. You know, I'm a fan of immersive type music, yeah. uh, emotional, immersive. And if a, if a dude like you appreciates it, that's all I can ask for. I, I thank you for saying so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a very welcome addition, you know, to certainly to, to my collection. Putting something like this together and then going out and playing it live, probably two very different experiences. Yeah. What is, for you, what, what's it like playing this type of music in a live setting, you know, especially compared to what you were doing, you know, prior with with bands and other types of styles. Um, this, I would say, this band is is more of this is the music I hear in my head. You know, like when I write the Bog Hunter stuff, it's the kind of stuff that I like to listen to. Mm -hmm. I think it's more. It's definitely the more accurate representation of of me of uh, my vision for heavy music. My initial my initial thought was to combine Funeral Doom and Neurosis. Neurosis is my favorite band. I also love, you know, Funeral Doom and, and things like that, you know. So the light and the dark, the heavy and the soft, kind of combining all that. I love, like, the clean parts on Oceanic Biasis. I love all mm -hmm. that kind of thing, all that kind of stuff. So I like to switch between clean and then have this, you know, this big, riff come in yeah. off of the clean part and things like that the dynamics i guess yeah so playing yeah but playing it live is definitely uh different still not completely comfortable with it but i i do enjoy trying to die trying to dial in and trying to immerse myself in the music and not be aware of the crowd yeah or, or people watching me it's still it's still a it's still difficult does it happen? Are you able to achieve sometimes, those yeah. states? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Yep. Um, I'm hoping with more, you know, experience, it, it happens. It happens more and more. Yeah. That's definitely my goal, just uh, to feel what I'm playing as I'm playing it without being distracted and trying to dial into this vibe. Because my favorite bands, you know, do that. Obviously, Neurosis is an absolute monster. The, the in my opinion, the greatest live band that exists mm. uh untouchable yeah they just dial into this 
unseen force and just, you know, play this music, just totally focused. You can just tell they really are a hundred percent there while they're playing it and, and kind of live it, live mm-hmm. that vibe. There's that, yeah, that, uh, even when they're not playing, there's sort of an understated intensity about those guys. It's present yeah. all the time for at least I perceive it to be, and I may be projecting things onto them. Uh, I fully acknowledge that, but that's how, that's how I perceive them when I see them out and about. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. For them, it's the total, the total vision, like yeah. everything, everything, uh, coming together and this music just like black Sabbath, I would say they, you know, they invented their own style, mm-hmm. um, which is just whatever they kept honing this craft until it just became totally them. I mean, there's, you know, it, that's, that's the music that pours out of them, just whatever they're feeling. And, uh, I mean, times of grace is my favorite album of all time. I would say of all time. That's the yeah. One. Yeah. That's okay. my number one. Wow. Times of grace. Yeah. Uh, well, I love everything before that through silver and blood and, and, and those albums time of times of grace to me is when it was cultivated into this, um, this total vision of just that album from beginning to end is just a nonstop. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a lot of patience in the songs. There's extreme heaviness. There's the vision of it all. It just all comes together for me on that, on that album. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I remember them saying around that time that they just uh, were spending hours and hours just honing those songs to a fine, to a fine point over and over until they stripped away all the fat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can definitely hear that on that album. So that's my favorite era was from, is from Times of Grace onward. To album. present day. Yeah. You know, it's always interesting to talk about this kind of music, uh, especially with somebody who is as into it, you know, as you are, because the slow and the heavy is not for everybody. More people like it now than 10, 15 years ago. Um, definitely has yes. more of an audience, but it, it still remains something that um, doesn't resonate with everybody. It's like you either don't like it or you absolutely love it. And there's not a lot yeah. of in between. I definitely see that. You know, what What about it, if you can even articulate it, because it's hard to do that, uh, but what about it is compelling for you? What What kind of, what draws you to it? To me, to me, there's more actual weight to the music. Yeah, it's just the impact of it is more, it resonates with me more. There's an actual physical weight and emotional weight to it more so. Mm-hmm. With this, in the, the space... The space and the heaviness just seems to hit harder um, with me. Well, I, you know, I love things like grindcore and death metal and black. I, I love black. Black metal is my number two behind, you know, doom stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for some reason, the slow stuff just always hit harder. And I've always loved the long, long songs. Like the longer, the better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I like the journey of it. Yeah. I like the, how it starts at a point and it evolves through all these different peaks and valleys. And it's more like a, more like an epic journey, uh, more immersive. Do you find yourself moving even more 
in that direction the older you get? Do you think age yes. has anything to do with it? Yeah. Or or age or experience or just some kind of need to uh, to slow things down and create a bit more space, especially in our incredibly dense and chaotic world. Yeah, I suppose it does kind of uh, it does kind of mirror my age a little bit. Yeah, as you get older, you kind of things kind of slow down, and you can appreciate things with more space. And so, I guess it, I guess it kind of has followed that trajectory. Or I appreciate it more as I've gotten older. I don't know if a band like Burning Witch, if I'd have heard that when I was 15, I would have said, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I want to hear it fast. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think I definitely have appreciated it more as I've gotten older. Um, there's this, this book. It's an academic book by a guy named, I think his name is Owen Coggins. Um, and it's... It's, I can't remember what it's called. It's something like mysticism and ritual related to drone music. It's something, the title is some long academic yeah. title, but, yeah. um, and I'm always a little bit, I'm always a little bit reluctant to read academic pieces on, on heavy music because they're often written by people that, that have a different agenda, either that is different from my agenda as a fan or is, feel so detached and remote that. Um, it's like, it's like if you don't appreciate and love this music, then you shouldn't be messing with it at all is kind of how I feel about it. So I read some academic things. I'm like, okay, that's, you're missing the point. This guy is a fan first that's and foremost. Point. And so he, yeah. he wrote this really interesting book. Um, and he talks in it about, he, he brings up this idea that's called, uh, that, that he refers to as um, elsewhere here. And he kind of came up with this idea after doing all of these, all these questionnaires that he would, and conversations that he would have, either formal, like written questionnaires or looser conversations he would have with people at doom metal or, or drone type shows. Um, yeah. So, you know, he talked a lot about Sun, he talks about Ohm, and a lot of, you know, those, those slow, almost kind of trance, trance inducing bands. And, and one of the, the things that, um, that he found that was interesting that I've been kind of spinning around in my head since I read this um, is that you're in a venue and you're being completely surrounded by just this massive volume. Um, right. and, and it's so slow, but so loud and so deep um, that it, it's very physical. And you're feeling that and you're feeling completely in the moment with it physically and you're aware of that but there's also a sense of it transporting you someplace else and sort of the 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 iconography and the imagery that so many of these bands utilize are you know they're they're kind of esoteric they're from different countries different times um, they have those different flavors that are all a bit mysterious and mystical so it's you, you're present and you're absorbing all of this in the moment, but you're also kind of traveling to another time, another age, having just kind of a, uh, a spin on what the here and now actually looks like. Um, so it's, it's a weird kind of dichotomy, um, but I feel like he hit on something there that 
the slowness, the volume, the depth helps to um, create a really unique experience that that does kind of border on the ritualistic or the spiritual or the mystical, yeah. which is something that um, that I think when I really started to kind of connect with those kinds of ideas 10, 15 years ago, that's when this music also kind of really came into my consciousness and I really started um, connecting with it. You know, And I, I think that that's one of the really special things about it, that it's not just... There's something bigger about it to me, I think. Yeah, and I'm not articulating this totally well, but that's I think that's kind no, of... No, I know what you're getting at, and yeah. I think that's what initially drew me to that kind of stuff, too. It was transportive. It was more than just listening to a heavy song, just come and go. It kind of... Uh, the, tran the trance element, like you brought up, that's always been huge for me. When I find a band that can just kind of take me to a different place... Yeah. Put, put some headphones on, you know, in the dark and just get absorbed by this music. And those are my, my favorite bands are the ones that do that. I keep using immersive, but yeah, you get immersed in this different, this different headspace. Yeah. My favorite bands have always done are the ones that can do that. And you have to, but you have to stop and like be present for it. Yeah. For it to oh, really yeah, it's be not effective. It's not background. It's listening. not, it's not no. slapping on something at a party it's right yeah, you, gotta, right. you gotta commit to you know i want to i want to go on this journey with this band we'll try to dial into their vibe like you just turned me on to dispirit yeah i didn't know about dispirit i've uh you know admittedly huge fan of weakling and asunder and i didn't know about dispirit for whatever reason but they immediately i got the same the same vibe i mean they're just dialed into this otherworldly trance type vibe. And, yeah. and while, it, while it's not necessarily doom, it's, it's these epically long songs that are a journey yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. And just all these, all this whirlwind of sound and uh, very, very transportive. And I'm glad, I'm glad you turned me on to that. <laughs> sure. I'm going to be listening <laughs> to them for a good long while and uh, eagerly awaiting their next next thing yeah it's the same the same kind of principles apply yeah to bands like that and, and some of the other um more adventurous black metal bands yep what's next for bog hunter well we just uh booked studio time okay for january for january mm -hmm. um we have three songs ready to record we're going to kind of over the next month month and a half hone them try to get all the parts because seeing as we don't have an endless supply of money, we'd like to go into the studio with a clear vision of exactly how each part should go, try to be expedient and efficient. So we've been playing these three songs for quite a while now since rides came out and uh, yeah, try to get those recorded over the winter and hopefully put them out in spring, you know, hopefully spring it's, more along the same lines, I guess, you know, they're, I don't know how to compare them to the stuff on Rive, but I'm hoping they'll maybe be a little more of a step forward, maybe a little more detail. Mm. Uh, you know, basically I write the skeletons of the songs and then I bring them into band practice and we kind of 
hone them and the other guys have ideas on tweaks and that's kind of how we write them okay but um i write the way i write so it's it's not going to sound radically you know there's not going to be any blast beats or <laughs> right uh, <laughs> so hopefully people dig it oh yeah it'll be three songs this time so one more song okay we're, right. going, we're going from two songs to three songs i don't okay. know if it's going to be an ep or a, it's probably about about 40 40 ish minutes that's proper lp yeah yeah there you go so yeah i mean I wish we could. I love playing shows, but you know, I, my goal is to just keep writing and recording. Okay. I already have many more things written that I'd like to, you know, keep going and and keep rele- and release something else soon thereafter. This next one. Yeah. Just a matter of, you know, we're not a we're not a quote unquote full time you know touring band or anything. We're we're four. I'm sorry, three. Three guys with jobs and yeah, uh, families and lives and responsibilities. Yeah, so, and, yeah. yeah, we do it. We it's it's a slow process, but we we do it, you know, as we can. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be recording with the same guy who recorded the EP. Okay, which we, we really like. Same Eric. studio. Yeah, he moved his studio, and he's telling us that the new his new spot is even more massive sounding, and he's learned a lot since. He recorded us back in 2017, so okay. we're looking forward to it. He, he's in a great band called Magnetar, if anyone wants to check that out. Magnetar, okay. Magnetar, yeah. All right. Great Sludge Doom band. Nice, okay. Definitely check them out. And is are you going to continue working with Seeing Red, or is that just a one? I hope, I hope so. Yeah, okay. I hope so. Yeah, it's been a great experience so far. Thomas, who runs the label, uh-huh. has been a very supportive guy. He uh, He's a super fan of underground metal and he just is he 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 really digs every band he puts out so um, that's important yeah it's cool yeah i know he had mentioned to me in the past his his idea for that seeing red label was kind of based on early earache and relapse where there's an eclectic mix of bands so you know it's not going to be it's it's not all doom bands not all death metal it's just uh kind of a weird mix, which I kind of dug, I kind of dug that vision, yeah. you know, back in, you know, early earache days, you'd have like Iron Monkey and, um, you know, Anal Cunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you'd have a, a weird mix of, uh, you know, Cathedral, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Right next to Carcass, right next to Napalm. Right. And, yeah. So I dig that. I dig that. Godflesh. Yeah. So hopefully he'll be into what we're, what we do next and willing to put it out. I hope. Well, I'm certainly looking yeah. forward to to whatever comes next, um, I just think again the EP is so good. Hopefully, really some people will listen to this and um, yeah. we'll, we'll check it out because I think it's well worth spending some time with. Thanks for um, taking the time and doing this with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, yeah, pleasure's all mine, Andrew. I think thank thank you again for asking. Me.